0: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah
1: and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks on a Monday. DJ Bucky, Rhett, back with you. Uh, Boys, uh, I mean, from college football, which we're not going to touch today. We'll get to that tomorrow a little bit and throughout the week. Crazy, crazy weekend of (laughs) college football. And then the NFL ended up having some nutso NFL games as well. Buck, what was your... uh, uh, your thoughts on the weekend
2: as a whole before we get into these games. One, I loved every minute of it. I loved all <laughs> the rivalry stuff. Like, we'll take my Tarios out of there because they got absolutely mollywopped nice. by NC State. But Ooh. there is something about watching uh, college football games on Saturday when the rivalries are involved. I sat there and watched the Iron Bowl. And I'm sitting there with uh, oh, the Jaguars. And, like, I have a guy who's not really a college football fan. Like, I don't even know why people watch that. I was like, man, this is why you watch it. Because at yeah. the end, he's like, it's Not over. Really. There's no way. It's, I said, man, you never oh. know. But there is. And then he throws the dime in the corner of the end zone. And DJ, I'm sitting there like, oh, and yeah. it wasn't for the fact that I see it all the time in high school, where you just see crazy things that shouldn't happen happen. I, I was like, man, this is crazy. You're going to lose the iron bolt on a fourth and oh. goal from the 31. 30. The, only thing they, the only thing they can do is throw it into the end zone. But the good Ed thing was done. they were spying
0: him in case he took off to run. Yeah, they were spying. <laughs> yeah. him, So that was good. That was sick. Sick from game. Plan yards there. Out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. If you can't make a tackle from the 31 to the goal line, you don't deserve to be on a field there. Right. Um, so oh. I, I, the best part about all of that is the is the reaction. Right. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. the plays, the plays
0: that determine oh, there was some crying, you know, there there the was some crying is folks is in the stands.
1: Buddy, I, I'm just telling you. Like, I was talking to a friend of mine who um you know, works in in Indianapolis in the media, and he was like, I, "I'm from you know Atlanta. I've got Auburn family. They were at my house. My stepmother, as soon as that play happened, went to the bedroom and did not emerge until the <laughs> next day." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, like that's how. But that's how like, just means this more are. the reactions are, you know, to like that week of college football. And and obviously in the NFL, we saw plenty of it, too, you know, with the way that games come down to the wire, the Eagles, and the Bills and that the way that thing ended that up going awesome. is is incredible. Yeah. So we'll get to all of it. But it, it, it was an awesome weekend to just to put it that
0: way. Yeah. To me, to me, when you it was literally like we had uh, uh, my, my wife and my son where we were all just kind of sitting on the couch and normally for us, like college football and I'll, you know, obviously get into the tape and everything as we get towards the draft. But college football. Almost like baseball for us where it's kind of it's on. We'll have the games on on Saturday, but, you know, Sunday we're working. So Saturday, you got some other stuff done around the house. And it's kind of the games are kind of like a backdrop. But that fourth and 31, we were all sitting there glued. And all of us were just like, what? Did that that just happen? That game was like unbelievable. Nuts! so stuff happens in that game more than any other game.
1: I yeah,
2: feel like you know,
1: and,
0: and there were several other games like that too. Washington, Washington well, State came down to the Wa- end.
2: Washington, Washington State was unbelievable. Like it was a great yeah. game. The Apple Cup is always kind of contentious, but watching that, the tension because it's going to be the last one, maybe that we saw the in old oaken Bucket game.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah,
2: exactly. I guess, I guess, the Oak and Bucket game. That, that who, was knew, who
0: knew, who knew, BYU Oklahoma State was the game we all needed, by the way, uh, <laughs> right. ended up being a, yeah. a
2: barn burner. You know, yeah. and then look, Michigan, Ohio State, like the way that is, yeah. like that, that battle of like toughness and just interception I, I on the think, final drive i, yeah, I think yeah. i like a little uh acrimony a little tension between bases and coaches yeah. I, I think i like that i think i like seeing robberies that hey nada no, we don't like you guys I, I i'm not shaking hands i'm not doing all this nice stuff like we don't like you you don't like us cool let's get it off well
0: unlike uh Unlike that Florida defensive lineman, we're not going to be spitting. We're going to be spitting facts here because we're going to jump oh. right into the, right. Right, into the so uh, right into the NFL game. That was uh, that was not a great look. That was um, gross. All right, uh, before we get into these games, but we've got we've got some games we want to jump into. Sorry for the little detour with college football, which is such an crazy week, uh, crazy weekend. But we have a coaching change um, this morning. It was announced uh, the Carolina Panthers for the 94th time since David Tepper has taken over uh, are making a change. Uh, maybe a little bit of an exaggeration there, but this is like it's an insane amount of coaches that he's run through here in a very short amount of time. Frank Reich doesn't get a year, he gets 11 games and he is out. Um, and this is a there's a lot of ways we can go. We talked about them in the past. Um, yeah, Rhett, we talked about it and kind of put together that little plan, uh, which you got such favorable feedback for real favorable Um, (laughs) favorable. (laughs) on
1: social media. Panthers fans are very attached to
0: Brian Burns. Okay. I get it. But I mean, this is this is I mean, this is a bad situation. Like, I don't know how it can get worse than having a roster that earns you the number one overall pick that you don't own. Hmm. Like, that is I'm trying to think back of like, you know, I Buck, I guess they will say there's no such thing as an undesirable job. There's only 32 of these things. Like they're they're sought after. But on the outside looking in, there is a lot of work to be done, and you've got one hand tied behind your back without owning that number one overall pick, and you got another future pick that's coming out your pocket as well. I think it's a two the
2: following year. <clears throat> yes. It's a, look, it's a tough job. And before you even get to like the, the resources that you have or, or the lack of resources that you have, it's stepping into a situation where the owner is very, very actively involved. The track record, the last two coaches were dumped fairly quickly after taking over what everyone around the league knew as rebuilding projects Um, Mm -hmm. makes it difficult. Now there's someone that will take the job because only 32 of them, but you talk about the lease being so short um, in terms of trying to, trying to rebuild it. I mean, we have seen, I mean, really good coaches struggle that first season. Then they bounce back the next year. Everyone loves Dan Campbell and what he's done now, but it was tough that first year in Detroit before Mm -hmm. he had an opportunity to kind of, Put his plan into play and get his right people and all that other stuff. Um, to me, I, I don't really even know what to say about Frank Reich in an 11 game tenure. Uh, you have the number one overall pick and a young quarterback, and Bryce Young. You're trying to teach him how to play the NFL game while figuring out what's around him and to be judged like he's judged. I know the record isn't what anyone wanted, but sometimes it happens. Um, to me, I just think it makes it a very, very difficult job to sell, even though someone to jump up. I think it's, a man, it, it, it'd be hard for me to jump in there.
1: I, you know, and I look back at the genesis of, you know, what goes wrong here. Um, was there a good enough relationship? Was there a, a good enough working relationship between Scott Fitterer and Frank Reich? Were they able to come together to figure out the best course forward? Did they... All agree on Bryce Young. You know, was that was that the fact, or or was there some dissension? What does David Tepper know that you know somebody wanted this guy and the other guy wanted the other guy? You know what I mean? Like, was can you go back? Can you now again seeing uh, C.J. Stroud excel, watching your team lose to a rookie quarterback in Will Levis? I mean, had to had, mm-hmm. you had to think that that plays at least a little bit of a role. In the perception for an owner seeing his franchise that, you know, spent all those resources to go get Bryce Young. And look, I don't know that we're still saying that Bryce Young isn't the guy. I just think that Mm. we all agree that there aren't enough guys around him for Mm -hmm. him to show that he can be the guy. And then you also look at, you know, like how much of this is of Frank Reich's doing as well. Like you have the, you know, whether it was the plan or not, but after a few games, you turn play calling over to Thomas Brown. And then after three games, you take it back and then it's not working. And it's almost like you're you're painting your your staff and your decisions as a bit of a mess. And I know you're trying to get it right. But the but the perception is that, man, every all the buttons you're pushing, they're not working. And if they're not working then I got to find another way to make it work. And that's probably with another person.
0: So here's some of the, the the dates on this stuff. So with Tepper as owner Ron Rivera was fired after Week 13 in 2019. Matt Rule was fired after Week 5 in 22. Uh, Frank Reich was fired after Week 12. Uh, obviously this morning. So then uh, Mike Sando uh, does a good job. He he had this tweet where he was talking about things that have happened on on Tepper's watch here. Matt Rule seven years uh, hundred or seven years sixty two million dollar deal trading Christian McCaffrey. They canceled the new practice facility that they were in the process of building. They declined the huge offer. I believe it was, what, two ones for Brian Burns from the Rams. Um, It was a healthy trade offer. They turned that down. They fired Steve Wilkes after he'd had some success in the interim basis. You hire Frank Reich and his staff, all that money, and you trade to the top of the 23 draft. Like, man, like that is not, there is not a lot that's gone right uh, in there. You know, and, and I'm also looking at, like, I, I felt like for the most part,
1: we were all pretty complimentary of the way that Frank assembled the
0: offensive Yeah, staff. all these quarterbacks, all these quarterbacks. Thomas guys Brown, you, McCown, yeah. you got Jim Caldwell in the
1: building. You yeah. got, you know, from young innovators to, you know, wise you know, vet coaches with experience. And so, yeah, you look at that and is it in fact the head coach then that, that just has to shoulder the blame on that?
2: Yeah, I think the the big question would be asking Frank. Did Frank really want to assemble the staff like that? Or was this a staff that was assembled by an owner who wanted to do it differently? You know, because some of the words that have come out is that he didn't want a staff full of buddies based on what he had experienced with Matt Rule. He wanted the best minds to get together. Right. And in theory, that sounds nice. But when you're coaching, there has to be a synergy and a connectivity that we tend to see the game out the same Lens. You know, there's there's a vision for how we're going to play on offense, defense, and special teams that is all complementary. And yes, you want to have divergent thought, but you still have to have an anchor for how you want to play. I worry about so many different people coming from so many different systems. How do you put that together for the betterment of the quarterback and the players around? I just wonder if they ever were on the same page when it comes to doing that. And whose idea was it to have a coaching staff? Full of all-stars, because it certainly hasn't worked to this point. I, I, a little bit conflicted
0: here, because I think the, the challenge of winning in the NFL, it's the hardest thing to do. And it's got the most parity. It's it's set up for parity. So <clears throat> you can look at a situation like what transpired in Vegas, where you've got a head coach and a GM that have an existing relationship, and they're you would think, believe in all the same things. It didn't. It didn't work out there. Then you can go through examples. You know, like, look, I know a lot was made about the game ball with the Giants uh, being uh, given to Wink. And there's all this talk about Dayball and Wink hating each other and not getting along. They come from different places, different theories, different philosophies. We've got this situation here where you don't have that previous relationship, front office, and the coaching staff. So I can point to a million things and say, look, these guys were best friends, they came in the, up in the same system, they got together and it didn't work. And I can show you other examples where they came in from successful other organizations that came together, didn't work, and then flip it and do the exact opposite. So I don't think there's one way to do it. I would just say may, maybe it's, maybe the lesson here is that you, you've, you've got to have the infrastructure in place roster-wise yeah. for a rookie quarterback. You You do. And if you're going to trade, and I was somebody who was in favor when they made this trade, I thought, hey, they haven't they haven't been able to get a quarterback. They needed to make the move to go up there and yeah. get him. I, I said that at the time. Now, I might have overestimated the, the talent on the current roster. Clearly, I did, because when you look at the way it's constructed right now. But I think in hindsight, now we can learn from others' m- mistakes. But, Buck, if you're going to... It's one thing to take him when you're picking one, you know, and say, okay, he might not be the elite, elite level. He's going to be really good, solid starter. We're not going to be looking for a guy. Take him, no doubt. But if you're going to part with all of these resources, including your number one receiver in the process, he has to be the truck. There is no, you cannot take the trailer there. You have to take the truck who's going to be able to pull everybody. And while I think we all are in agreement, Bryce is talented, Bryce has got a chance to be a good player, Mm -hmm. he's not that. You know, he's not that guy where you could part with everything to go get him in hindsight.
2: Yeah, um, I would say I would say this. And I think uh, the scouting guys always bring us back to where we have to have truisms. Right. Yeah. And so when we think about um, grading and the grading scale, we talk about the top five talent and the top 10 talent, what they should look like in those things. I think what we have to do is stay true to those. Those principles, right, that we've been taught along the way, like, hey, if it's a number one overall pick, he should be able to check off these boxes as a special player. So uh, Miles Garrett would be the one, right? So Miles Garrett, from a prototypical standpoint, you look at what he is, that is a number one overall pick all day, every day. And so when we think about Bryce and love all the intangibles that he brings, but DJ, Rhett, if we think about it, he's an outlier in a bunch of different ways. size. Not only height, but also weight. Arm talent is good, but I wouldn't say it's great. Athleticism yeah. wouldn't be yeah. in that elite That's the Kyler score.
0: Murray. That's the difference with him and Kyler. You know, it's right. undersized and, guys who went and one.
2: And so now what we've done is we've made an exception at number one overall. And if you're the Panthers, maybe you're mad because you're like, hey, he's number one pick. He should be able to do that. But then you're like, well, look at what he was at and what profile. he showed us in college. Yeah. He didn't necessarily fit what is normal. What is normally a number one overall pick.
1: Yeah, and I I look at you know I I think we all also got enamored with the way that you know how mature he is and the way he handled himself and like you look at that that's number one pick material like that even if the frame wasn't the mental makeup seemed to be and and then when you throw the talent in there and and we saw it many you know plenty of Mm -hmm. times at Alabama the the arm talent the you know the ability to create it's all there. Um, but you know, he was playing with some of the best players on in college football, and that is mm-hmm. not the case now in the NFL. And, you know, maybe he can get there. I, I think, I think we all agree that there's a chance he can get there. They just, they now have to figure out more than anything. You've got to find a way to get resources to Bryce. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's almost to me more
0: important than finding the head coach at this point. Oh, it's finding yeah, the resources. I've, I've been beating that drum that in Panther yeah. fans, some of them get mad. But yeah. I'm like, you're gonna have to take from the defense. I'm sorry, but you have so much invested. No, the in way this. to do it, and you you can't even evaluate him. You know, forget you know. The clock's ticking. You know, yeah, you you got to get going here. And look, they do. I mean, somebody brought up a good point. Hey, we we keep saying they don't have a first round pick. Well, they pick 33rd, which is as close to a first round pick as you can <laughs> it's get. Close. It's a good pick. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, gosh, you just you don't have you don't have that number one overall pick that you'd be staring at. So. They've got to be creative. And to me, they've got to they've got to build up the offense. If next year we're having this conversation and the Panthers have won, you know, three games or four they're four and seven or something like that, but Bryce is taking the next step and you've got him some receivers and you got an offensive line in place and he's making progress, you've got time now to figure the rest of it out. But man, you'd hate to you'd hate to have to, you know, lose him through this whole process because you gave up an awful lot and that would be a tough one to come back from. Um anyways, we'll we we'll have plenty of time to dig into him yeah. as we get to the yep. offseason. Let's, uh, let's jump into these games. I'll start. I won't go long here. It's a game I feel like I've seen a million times calling these Charger games. Uh, they lose Sunday Night Football 20-10 to 10 to the Ravens. It was closer than that. It was in the fourth quarter. Chargers ball in hand, as you would expect. Um, 233, down by three. Uh, they've got a chance to... Uh, to go down there and try and at least tie the game, if not win it. The first play of the drive, they get the ball to the fifty to, to Erickson. So you're first and ten at the fifty, you got two minutes left. You it's need even more I mean, than that. The, it was like two thirty, wasn't it? Yeah, it was two thirty-three when they started the drive. Yeah. So okay. I mean, they 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 have two and change and they've and got to the fifty. Mounts? Yeah, they've got everything. And and you've got a kicker in Cameron Dicker who might be an all pro this year. He's been unbelievable. Yeah. He does not miss and he's got <laughs> a huge leg. I mean, you get you get to the 35. It's a layup. You have 15 yeah. yards. You've got four downs to get 15 yards. They couldn't do it, and it's a little bit of a formula, Buck. Where you've I've seen it now. And Money and I talked about this on the broadcast, but I've seen it with the end of the Miami game when Vic Fangio heated them up. They heat up the Chargers. They didn't really have an answer for it. Sacks. You know, it, it pretty much ends the game. Uh, then you see the Tennessee Titans in overtime do it. Saw it again last night. Like. Teams have started to come after them, and they don't have an answer. You know whether you want where you want to put that blame: offensive line communication, a back here or there. You know Herbert just not knowing that he's, that he's hot, not having options. I think on that last one, you know he has Keenan Allen on a, on an out route. He gets a free runner. He's going to have to get it up way before he gets out of his break. But at that one, you just kind of got to hope and pray that your receiver can get his head around and kind of put a little air under it and give it a shot. But what I'm getting at is these Charger games have ended very similarly. The defense was better in this one. Um, I'll give you the quick take on the other side of the ball with the Ravens. Um, I've never seen more slant flat combinations in an NFL game. You talk about high Try. school football, Buck. It was unbelievable. I'm like, this is like watching this is Friday night football out here. They'll, they'll marry up routes where they'll have a little screen to the right, right? Where you'll have like a bubble. And then the backside—it's just the back and the receiver—and they wore them out with with uh, with flats. They hit like three or four slants on that in that in that backside window. But it's a—I was wondering what the magic was with Baltimore when I watched them. And obviously, this they had scored thirty plus in five straight games coming to this one. This was not at their best performance. But seeing them up front, we'll get to the defense in a minute. But offensively, I was amazed at just how they've made this so simple and so easy back there.
2: Look, if you want to do, if you want your quarterback to play well, give him things that he does really well. Going all the way back to Louisville, DJ, Lamar Jackson yep. is a killer on in breaking routes. He has yep. always been like that from Louisville, whether it's slants, whether it's digs, posts, anything that's going towards the middle of the field, that is when he's at his best. Where he has always struggled is anything that is outside the numbers, outbreaking away from him, running towards the sideline, that's not his jam. And the Baltimore Ravens have said, I'm going to make you a good passer by putting in route concepts that you throw really well. And until a defense or a series of defenses take that away, he's going to be efficient. He's going to be effective. And this offense is going to continue to move and score points.
1: Yeah. And I I think, you know, you you find a way to get the ball in the hands of Zay Flowers. Uh, That helps too. Uh, And, you know, figures, I think it's the first week none of us have selected Zay Flowers in the fantasy draft. Uh. Oh,
0: you did? Oh, no. Oh, Wait
2: a minute. Shoot. I thought you got Tank Dale. I thought you took Tank Dale. Uh-huh. Who took Tank Dale? You, uh, you, you did.
0: Do you need to remind... Do you remember last year? You, got, you got, How do you take two Ravens? You took two Ravens. You called the Chargers. Oh, I that's took right. Mitchell and I took Zay Flowers. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who took Tank Dale? I think you did. You did because yeah, it was I against you did, your but-
2: Jags. Oh yeah. You said
0: that, yeah. Yes. oh yeah, I violated, violated the Yes. I, I violated, violated the code. I violated the code in one. That's the only difference. Smart. He caught it.
2: Yeah, he caught it. he caught a bomb. I mean, he caught a bomb. Ooh.
1: Yeah, and then took one to the house, you know, with his <laughs> speed. And um, so I look, I it is it's simplicity in scheme, and it's simplicity in like, let's get the ball in the hands of our most electric playmaker.
0: Yeah. And that's what they do. And yeah, and they do like, it, they do it simple on offense and complex on defense because they give you a lot on that's the other right. side.
1: But didn't the Chargers defense on the whole play a little bit better? And they this played game great. They had? Yeah. yeah.
0: They played much better. I mean, look, they had them. Yeah. At the, the Ravens had th- literally had 13 points with two minutes left. Right. They, they, I mean, that was it. That was it. They got one late. You got to be um, able to win that game with Justin Herbert as your quarterback. If you're no defense question. No question. And they have lost so many of these games. It's their sixth game this year. They've lost by three or fewer points. Like, so I, here's the, here's the interesting one for you. I had, uh, and Buck, I want to get your take on this. I had Lamar. I had Lamar. I, we had Rod Woodson, our buddy, on the pregame show, and I said, "Rod, like, look, Rod Woodson, Hall of Famer, and people don't realize he coached as well. Um, one of the smartest football players I've ever been around." I said, "Rod, what do you attribute all these close losses to?" And it's been going on for a while now, not just this year, but going back. And he said to me, "That has nothing to do with coaching." It was interesting. He said, there needs to be a player on offense and on the defense that's the leader. That the leader that says, this stops, it's over, this is not happening. They take control, they take the reins. He said, now, he's all from the outside. He is not around the Chargers, but he said, I think he had Khalil Mack when he was coaching with the Raiders. So he said, Khalil Mack, unbelievable player, maybe maybe on his way to being a Hall of Fame player. He's not a vocal guy. You know, Justin Herbert from the outside, not, not a big vocal guy, like, so Joey Bosa, not really a big vocal guy. Derwin is is kind of that guy, yeah. but they were just he was just kind of saying like who's the who stops it? Like who is the guy who stops it? And he gave examples of like Ray Lewis and you mm-hmm. know the great players he's played Ed with. <laughs> that's it. Like that's not happening. And he he but it was fascinating to me that he just said this is not a coaching thing. This is a player thing. When you're losing this many close games, he put it on the the players. Which from a player, I thought was an interesting opinion.
2: So I, I, I will say like. Um, we always hear, and I've heard the best coaches say, hey, man, it's a player's game. Like, ultimately, our job is to give you the tools and then you go play. And DJ, we've talked about it. Brett was been on the pod when we've talked about it. We talk about quarterbacks who have that not over my dead body mentality, or we equate it to the guy that is always on pickup. You give them any four, but they always find a way to win. At some mm-hmm. point, your best players have to do that. Like, you demand more, you expect more, from your best players. And so I can agree with Rod in that at some point it comes down to making plays. And so we saw the conversation that Minka uh, Fitzpatrick had with Terrell Austin in the Pittsburgh game a couple weeks ago where he's telling him, you need to call this. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to be able to take the reins and say, coach, this is what we're doing. We got it. We'll go fix it. We'll go make you right. And until somebody does that, they'll continue to have these issues.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's a fascinating case study, but again, uh, we've talked about it a bunch, but that Ravens defense on the biggest play of the game, they've got 700 pounds of droppers. They've got those two bigs uh, touching and dropping off in, in the coverage, and they've got a free runner coming off the edge to, to really ice the game, win the game for them. So it is complex. It's complicated. Roquan, Patrick Queen, is le- they're legit in the middle of the defense. Um, I don't think their secondary is great. Um but you know, I think the safeties are really good. I think corner and Marlon Humphrey didn't play, but I think at corner, there's you know against some some premier passing mm-hmm. team. I, I think they you know I that's why it's fascinating, man. It's pre, all these teams in the AFC have flaws. You I know, mean, that's the best team in the AFC yeah. right now. It's not a perfect team, really? so uh, it'll be interesting to see. All right, Buck, how about your game, Jags and Texans?
2: Okay, so you just go from talking. We were talking about the best players taking over and kind of making it happen, DJ what I saw was a quarterbacking exhibition between two young quarterbacks that you have to be excited about. Uh, I'll talk about Trevor Lawrence first. Um, Trevor Lawrence certainly has heard the outside noise. And the reason why I can say that is, to me, it it took place at the coin toss. So, you know, like in the pros, it's not really contentious when you go and shake hands or whatever. Trevor Lawrence was short and sweet when it came to shaking hands with the other team. Trevor Lawrence was there to stand on business. And he was playing. And I can tell you, it is the best that he's played in a long time. Can't look at you the know what numbers.
1: I, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off, Buck, but you know what? That sounds like exactly what we were just talking about. That's an over my dead body type of performance. It Trevor. was.
2: Go ahead. I will say this without personally talking to Trevor. Trevor Lawrence went to Houston to show and prove that, hey, mm-hmm. before y'all discord me, no, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm a dude. Yeah. And he scores a touchdown early, and he starts barking at the fans. That's the Trevor that I like seeing
0: because <laughs> I saw it
2: last year when the Jags were making the playoff run in Tennessee, in Nashville, where the Jags were winning and somebody was talking yeah. to him. He just pointed to the scoreboard and walked off. And I was like, ooh, Trevor got like a little, yeah. got like a little him in him. A little edge. And so, so Trevor was on his game like that. CJ Stroud, DJ, whatever we thought CJ Stroud was going to be in the draft process, we need to add five more points to the total score. (laughs) Because what C.J. Stroud is doing, and now that I listen back to the commentary about, oh, he's not athletic, he doesn't move, D.J., what he is is he is going to be the next quarterback that gives everybody problems because he's athletic enough to run, but when he runs, his eyes are down the field. And so Mm -hmm. all he's doing, he's like one of those fairy tales with the, The lady that's hanging just luring you to the line of scrimmage, Mm -hmm. and he is looking to bring you up so he can throw it over your head. He has tanked Dale on a 65-yard pass that is eventually called back. But DJ, he's running around. Oh, I'm going to take off. I'm going to take off. You drop coverage, and he throws a bomb. And I was like, oh, that's how they're scoring all these points. (laughs) Because he is basically doing the stuff that Pat Mahomes does. Not the same style player, but you know how Pat Mahomes runs around where he's running and just kind of waiting for stuff to crack? That's what he's doing. And he's mastered that part of the game very early. These two Mm -hmm. young quarterbacks, they'll be duking it out for a long time. But man, C.J. Stroud is even better than I could imagine him being at this stage of his career. And this wasn't even his best,
1: you know. Like he's had <laughs> he's had better games this year. No, I will say that I felt like he he held on to the ball and mm-hmm. tried to, and, and had some magic in the pocket, getting getting away from some rush, more so in this game than in any we've seen thus far this season. It felt like he was always on the move. Like and it wasn't necessarily a design move, right? He mm-hmm. was like, all right, let me let me get out of here and, and break out of the pocket, let me escape out of here. And a lot of times he was making it work. Um, but credit the Jags also for providing that pressure to not let him sit back there and use that elite accuracy and ball placement to just dice you up from the pocket. Josh Allen was getting through. Um, and mm-hmm. the Texans have been pretty good. And they lost Titus Howard early in the game, which I think you probably heard a little bit. You had to put Juice Scruggs in there, playing his first ball, first real NFL ball uh, of his career. And he was, you know, he's the, he was the starting center coming in, gets hurt. He comes in at left guard, um, first game off IR. <clears throat> so, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up with CJ because I just I feel like we we tried, right? We tried <laughs> to talk about that Northwestern game. We tried to talk about the yeah. Georgia game where he he showed you that he can use the legs. He didn't have to at Ohio State.
2: No. Yeah. And he's got you that.
0: know what? You know, you know what? Um, side note and then we'll get moving. I know yeah. we're behind schedule, yeah. but the uh, I was thinking about this the other day in college football. I think it's going to make scouting easier with this realignment. Think about it. Like think about, think about the quarterback position. The now. Games? You're going to have SC UCLA, Washington, Oregon going into the big 10. So all those teams now are going to be playing NFL players, NFL defenses. Now, Oklahoma, which has produced a lot of quarterbacks, Texas, which with mm-hmm. Sarkeesian, you got to believe they're going to have quarterbacks. They go to the sec. Like, in some ways, I think it's going to make scouting somewhat easier because you're going to see good on good every single week. You're going to see these yep. guys playing against real, real teams, man.
2: I mean, to that point, I think it even changes the way you you stock your department. I think you we talk about West and Midwest and all that, you almost have to have an SEC scout and a Big Ten scout good, to cover a, all a, the other That's an interesting way to do it. And yeah, so, I like and then, that. And then when you think about the cross-checking, like how you can mm-hmm. just sit and, I mean, Red, like – I would say this, like I would do the first loop and then I would post up at SC the second loop and just watch these other teams come in and watch the film or whatever. Like mm-hmm. yeah. you're going to have scouts that are going to be able to see all of these big games. And so I think you're right. It's going to make yeah. it a lot easier to see these teams, these quarterbacks play in big games. And it should make, I won't say make for an easier evaluation, but a more thorough evaluation of the position.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you could maybe give your scouts the first two weeks of the season off because nobody's going to be scheduling heavy haymakers in the first three weeks of the oh, season, knowing what, knowing what got the conference, conference
0: schedules come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Um, all right, squeeze in one more here before we go to a break, Rhett, let's go, uh, chiefs Raiders.
1: Yeah. Chiefs Raiders. Interesting one. Um, I mean, boy, the, the, the Raiders wish they could have just run right back into the tunnel after the first quarter. I mean, they were, uh, they but were down on it. wheels. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was incredible. The first 15 minutes of this game, uh, they ran 22 plays. The chiefs ran four. They had three. They had four plays for zero yards. I mean, you hold Patrick Mahomes to that kind of output um, in any quarter of any game, you're feeling pretty good. Then, then the rest of it was just kind of weird. Everything. It was not an overly explosive game um, on either side. I know the, the Raiders did get down the field a couple of times, but like neither team really wins that battle uh, or dominates that battle. Uh, the run game wasn't as much of a factor. Uh, really, although you know you did see Josh Jacobs. it was good to see him kind of get some run here and, and and find a way to at least calm things down for Aiden O'Connell, who was on fire in the first quarter and got, you know, it wasn't quite as good the rest of the way. Um, The other thing that I'll say about it is this was obviously, this was the, uh, this was the Rasheed Rice game. This is where we found out who the second target is behind Travis Kelsey. Rasheed Rice, 10 targets, eight catches, his first 100 yard game. They were trying to get the ball in his hands and I love what Andy Reid said today that that Rasheed Rice has been getting better and better every week, making himself more Patrick friendly, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Figuring out what his quarterback wants, how he can present himself to the quarterback in a fashion where he can then use his talent and his skill set to be a, a productive factor for this offense. They were getting him on crossers. They were getting him on quick screens, and they even had him chipping On Max Crosby's side, and then delay releasing as a check down, and he caught a couple of balls on those those types of plays because he was making himself available to Patrick Mahomes, like on some of the plays you're talking about, Bucky, with C.J. Stroud, where Mm -hmm. he's kind of waiting, 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 doesn't break open. Bang, let me hit it to Rasheed Rice, and he'll pick up eight yards. He's got a physicality to his game after the catch that's pretty impressive. So um, I I just, and again, it, it did feel like for the Chiefs it was back to that patience game plan. They had four touchdowns on five drives from the second quarter to the start of the fourth. And they went 12 plays, eight plays, 10 plays, six plays. And they just found a way to work the ball down the field and get the ball into the paint. And so uh, it, I, I think Rasheed Rice is the biggest development that I had
0: from this game. No, that's legit. That's a, that's a yeah. good win. For the Kansas City Chiefs, it's not easy inside the division. By the way, the Raiders uh, just cut Marcus Peters, so they uh, decided to move on from, uh, from Marcus Peters there. So that, one, that one's over. Um, all right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll jump into the Eagles and the Bills. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, guys. I would say this is the game of the day. Uh, in weather, cold, wet. Um, the Eagles, they beat the Bills 37-34. to 34. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can go in this game. I'll leave some of the storyline stuff, uh, to you guys. I went back this morning though, and I wanted to watch, uh, someone who I think might be one of the more underappreciated players, not just on the Eagles, but maybe in the NFL That's Devonte Smith. So mm-hmm. AJ Brown gets a lot of attention. He's mm-hmm. arguably, you know, if not the best, he's one of the top three receivers in the NFL. Jalen gets his attention. The pass rush gets theirs. Um, even you know Slay the secondary, everybody. You get the head coach Sirianni gets credit. How he gets credit? I feel like Devonte Smith gets lost a little bit in this. And when I watched him, as somebody who sees Keenan Allen each and every week, it's hard to explain it because we can talk about guys being great route runners. You can talk about you know size, speed, all that stuff when you're breaking down receivers. There's a feel to that position, and Buck, you can speak to it better than I can. But there's just an understanding and a feel to your game, and it's so subtle as to the point when. He's on over. He's on an over route, and he can see where Jalen is and how he's moving, and he'll gear it down because he's not in a sprint to get to the sideline, and you have nowhere to go with the throw. He can throttle down. He's got an yeah, yeah. unbelievable spatial awareness. I don't know. You might know, Buck, what his basketball background is. He 100% must have played a lot of hoops because he feels and moves in space. It's exceptional. Then you get with that the pristine route running, and the hands, he's got phenomenal hands, as we've seen uh, across the league. That's not, not something we should take for granted. But he goes 7 for a buck 06 in that game. And I just came away after watching it going, he needs some love. I mean, he's a good football player, man.
2: He is a good football player. And, DJ, he did play a little basketball. He did, he did, oh, he did. You. He just said he does—he loved basketball. He was a good time basketball player coming up. And you can... See that in his game. And one, we've talked about it multiple times, why multi-sport players are uh, favorable, why we love them in the scouting process, because those skills translate. But the field part of playing wide receiver, I think that's what really made him very attractive during the draft process. We can talk about the size because the size was a concern. But I just remember, you know, when he took over at Alabama, he was the number two. Mm Jalen Waddle gets hurt. And he has to become the number one. And that's when he wins the Heisman Trophy. He wins. explodes. <laughs> he explodes when they made him yeah. the focal point. So the route running ability, the playmaking ability, the the ability to kind of like be exactly what the quarterback needs in those moments. It makes sense. And I've always contended that the Eagles, they don't just have a number one wide receiver, they have code number ones. I think they share Damn. the marquee, even though um my guy AJ gets, gets AJ the Brown love. Gets, yeah. gets all the love. I think Devontae Smith is just as capable as a number one receiver in his own light. So
1: I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I love Devontae Smith's game. I mean, it does feel silky smooth, you know, at times. And, and you guys are talking about that a little bit in the way that he runs the routes and that spatial awareness. I, I just kind of want to go back. It just feels like a theme now that 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 we brought it up. Um, with, with these, you know, that Rod Woodson. Con- I mean, is Jalen Hurts yeah. maybe the best example oh, yeah. of a guy who not, refuses not, not, to lose? He's not
0: losing. He's not losing. He's just
1: not going to do it. In fact, <laughs> yeah. he hasn't. Uh, he has now won 14 consecutive games against teams with a winning record. That's the most and the longest streak by any quarterback since at least 1950. Mm. Um, they are also at his team- best. He's
0: at his best in winning time, too. Like, That's it. However ugly you know grimy the game can be on winning downs and winning time, I'm not betting against that dude. Eagles five and zero this year when trailing at the half,
1: and Jalen Hurts um, is Philly's the only team in the NFL with winning record when down at the half. Most of the wins when most of most wins of any team when trailing at the half. I mean, you should see what the rest of the record is. It the rest of the NFL has a combined two thirteen win percentage when they're trailing at the half. The Eagles are undefeated. Um, I, I just think that is a mentally mentally tough team, and it starts right there with Jalen Hurts, Deej.
0: Yeah, 100%. And um, look, let's let's flip it over uh, quickly on the other side here. Josh Allen deserves some love for what he did in this game. You watch the runs. I, I broke down his runs in this game. Now the, the stats, what did he end up with? Uh, 81 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns. But these runs are not just like standard runs. Third and 10 scramble for a first down. Um, third and 11 takes off for a 16-yard touchdown third nine scramble for a first down like these are not you know qb power he's not designed runs that is and and again using this theme he didn't win the game but it was a will on his part there that it was like he put everything he had into that thing and was trying to make it happen and put up a boatload of points put up 34 points should be good enough it wasn't on this day um but man that's a that's a Bills team. It's hard to explain. Somebody used the analogy, uh, Buck, which uh which pains me, but yet I get it. Because the Bills are the Padres this year. Like the Bills <laughs> point differential is off the charts. Their record should say one thing, but it doesn't. They're six and six, uh, which is somewhat baffling. Um, you know, I do think it's a little premature. I think people they want to jump off the McDermott bandwagon here. I mean, the guys won a lot of football games, and that team has an identity. They're just in a they're in a weird spot right now. I think the Matt Milano is our old friend Dave Damashik used to do the Jenga piece. Who who would have thought that Matt Milano could be that piece? I mean, he is a and one tra- of the best Travis linebackers White's in the out, NFL. Yeah, yeah, but Milano's Milano is yeah. Milano, I think, is more valuable to them than I would agree, tra- I would agree. Trey. White. Is.
1: And yeah. that's the way that they thought it was I mean, because they were yeah. like, they were okay to let Tremaine Edmonds go. And they're like, you know, yeah. we need to pay Matt Milano. He's the guy that makes this thing go.
2: He does He does make it go. And I'll say this about the Buffalo Bills um, because everyone is now kind of on Josh Allen about the turnovers and those things. DJ, there's certain players that you just have to live with that. You just kind of have yeah. to know. It's almost like having a, a hitter who's a high-volume strikeout guy, but he's going to give you 45 to 50 home runs. You just have to know, hey, yeah. that's part of it. We're going to bake that in the equation. That's what he is. I will say, you talk about the identity of the Bills. Even though we're seeing – I feel like the last two weeks we've seen Josh Allen do more of the I'm the one man show stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the identity of the Bills. He's going to do everything. He's going to put it on his shoulders. He's going to run around. He's going to make plays and those things because they have been a more dangerous team the last two weeks. They've been a team that, I mean, you could argue they should have won this game. If they win this game, it's a different conversation that we're having about the Buffalo Bills. But I will say this and I will issue the warning to everyone in the AFC. Don't let them get into tournament.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
2: Because if you let good them point. get in the tournament in a one-game scenario, Josh Allen can knock anybody out. Don't let them yeah. get in because I would not and want to be the 2 seed that has to face them in the tournament.
1: That tip to Joe Brady. That offense
0: has been better the last two weeks.
2: 100%. I,
1: I look, it's, it, that, that is hard to deny
0: at this point. Um. All right. I've been super excited about this one, Buck. How about the Falcons and the Saints? You feel the excitement in my voice right there? <laughs>
2: Well, I do. I love the voice inflection because if you watched it, you would be excited about it. And the reason why <laughs> you would be you excited did. about it—trust me I did not. The reason why you would, you would be excited about it is because Jesse Bates continued to do what Jesse Bates does. Nice, uh, our, our buddy, um, yeah, David. Yeah, Carr, yeah, his, his little show. brother, friend, he, his, his little brother threw one out there, and Jesse Bates snagged it and pick six. He house called it. Mm-hmm. And if you watch Jesse Bates the last couple of years, you talking about one of the more instinctive playmakers in the secondary. He's done it, and he's been great for the Falcons in terms of making plays, coming downhill, um, getting his hands on the ball. He is doing all of that, and a Falcons team that is really struggling with their identity on both sides of the ball, they played a little more to the identity. I think we had a B. John Robinson sighting. He actually touched the ball a little bit, which was kind of fun to watch, considering how much, hey, hey, how much... Go figure. How much they're better how much they, when he touches the ball. Yeah, is that what you're telling how me? How much, yeah, how much they gave it to him. He had 19 touches, which is always great to see. Over 20, 120 scrimmage yards, and you know, if I'm the Falcons, I just kind of look at them and be like, you know what, maybe the ball needs to go to Bijan John Robson a little more because when yeah. he gets the ball, it kind of sets the table for everybody else. And then Desmond Ritter was solid enough for them to get the win. Uh, you look up, the Atlanta Falcons are still in the mix.
1: Yeah, um, B. John rushing and receiving touchdown. And the receiving touchdown comes on maybe Desmond Ritter's best throw of his career. <laughs> He's getting pressured. He is getting pressured, and off his back foot knows where Bijan is going to be. Knows he is wide open, and lays a beautiful pillow, drops it right into Bijan's hands for the touchdown. Now Desmond giveth and Desmond taketh as as well because he has another red zone interception here on a play on a throw that just shouldn't even you know shouldn't should have just kept it. He'd been better off taking a sack, kicking a field goal, obviously. Um, But Tyron Matthew got one. He's just he still he still hasn't worked that stuff out of the game, but he is giving you some of those big play moments like he Mm -hmm. used his athleticism to really help uh, propel a couple of drives for the Falcons in this game. Um, And then, by the way, pick six, not the only thing on Jesse Bates. He comes up and probably makes the play of the game, punching out uh, a fumble on Taysom Hill, who had just rushed for a first down. They were about to have a first and goal inside the 10 yard line uh in late in the game it was either it was either fourth quarter or late third quarter and that was a major major turning point in that game and the falcons figured out a way to go down and score and win that game
0: by the way i was just thinking out out loud here um if there's been talk that travis kelsey could walk away at the end of the year um if he does retires goes off into sunset if you're the kansas city chiefs I mean, just 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 please let me show you what we can do with with uh, with this tight end here. Just, we're <laughs> we giving over him here. to the
1: Chiefs now.
0: Yeah, this just send him over. I here. thought he was going Kyle to the Pitts. Panthers. Oh, well, no, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here. You know this ends up with Kyle Pitts is going to end up with like the Chiefs,
2: the Niners, or like the Eagles. Yeah, and it's just going to be an explosion. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah they're going to throw him out there and, and off you go.
2: In fairness to the Chiefs and the Falcons, this would be um, a nice repayment for the Chiefs sending. Tony Gonzalez to the Falcons. Oh, yeah. oh there you like go. go. This, this would be this would be like, yeah. hey, remember, like, you can you can, yeah. can bring it back and we can we can flip tight end swap. It. Uh, yeah, like Tight swap. Good, um, good callback,
0: Buck. Uh, man, Brett, how about uh, with, how about yeah. Steelers Bengals here? We got a yeah. couple
1: left. Yeah, just 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 really hitting on the Steelers here because I think look, I think you know Jake Browning. Uh, I, I think will credit you know his his ability to step in there in a tough situation and keep them competitive, but. They're not scoring enough points, and I don't know that they're going to be able to a- against at least the AFC North defenses that they're going to have to face here in the Browns, the Steelers, uh, and the Ravens. Obviously, in the Steelers in, in this one, I, I really wanted to focus on the offense uh, with, obviously, the change in offensive 400 structure. 400
0: yards, well, baby.
1: First time this season, Mike Sullivan calling the plays. First time in forever. Yeah, fair point.
0: Fair point. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: look, I, I sometimes I think we get you know, and on the, on the external side, people get over overly enamored with having balance on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more like keeping the defense off balance is really what oh, you're talking about in, in, in that equation. Right. And the Steelers did that 33 runs, 33 called passes.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: they kept the Bengals kind of guessing where they were going. They had some explosives from Najee Harris they brought big personnel in. They were running 13 personnel. They had Pat Friermuth back healthy. By the way, in that big personnel, uh, one of those big-time chunk plays from Najee Harris ends up happening. Pat Fryermuth, I think, was the difference in this game. though. Mm-hmm. And the way that he was able to operate in the middle of the field, first couple of targets were on benders, and it was some terrific throws, a couple of terrific throws from Kenny Pickett. Then he's like, he just goes Travis Kelsey, right? And they just set him up a... Go find some space in between some zone windows here, and turn around and bang. Kenny's dotting him up. Um, he, he ends up having a terrific game here. It goes over a hundred yards, um, and it was just a, a big piece of the offensive attack that felt like it was really missing the last couple of weeks. And so they had it on the ground, they had it through the air.
0: This felt like Steelers' offense. You know how you know how when you're a kid, we played different games around the country, and I don't know if you guys call it the same thing we did. Did you guys ever play freeze tag when you? Were oh kids? yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, you know who plays freeze tag? Deontay Johnson. He's amazing at it. He just <laughs> he just frozen. He just <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, are you still
0: frozen? Tag. Okay, there you go. I'm done. All right, yeah, tagged yeah. Tagged. Good. <laughs> What in wonk? the heck was that, Buck? Take yeah. me into the meeting. All right, this is this is why I love having Buck as a friend because um, I can say, take me into the film room. You guys watch tape. You're in the receiver room, and that comes up. What the heck is said in there?
2: Nothing. You don't even have to say anything. Because, DJ, you just let it play, and then you just pause it. And it yeah. becomes that yeah. uncomfortable silence, right? Ooh. It's the uncomfortable silence where the peers are looking at the tape, he's having to look at the tape, and everyone is able to hold people accountable by saying, what are we doing? Like, what Like mm-hmm. what kind of effort is that? And I And I'll be honest with you, it's so weird because – the Steelers are such a franchise that's kind of buttoned up. They have a toughness about them, but man, it always seems like they have one or two guys that it's receivers. Look at all the
0: receivers they, they've, they've had. That just that they've gone through that have had stuff.
2: Yeah, and so he's been kind of like the squeaky wheel of late, complaining about like lack of touches and the ball, but never acknowledging his own shortcomings when it comes to drops and those things. He dropped look, a
0: touchdown in this game.
2: He's frustrating to watch. I mean, yeah, he's he did. He, he's he's a he's a good player, but I don't think he is as good as maybe he portrays or his attitude gives off. And so I I just wonder I wonder with that like look like he's there because they signed him to a big deal, but it has to be a kind of annoying for some of the Steelers like some of the antics and some of the lack of effort that um, has been put on by him.
1: Yeah. That's a tough one, and uh, you know we we didn't see that happen because we we had this game on game day live, we had it happen live, and we didn't we didn't see that because we got we were still focused on the fact of whether Jalen Warren actually fumbled the football or not, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and obviously he did, and you know you get Deontay Johnson just walks right by it. That's yeah,
0: the, the worst, even worse than that is the beginning of the play didn't even come off the line of scrimmage, right? Just stood just there, sitting there, not blocking um anyways that was a bad look but overall a much better day for the uh, pittsburgh steelers offense and hey the steelers win games man they just keep winning ball games finding a way to do it mike tomlin uh, god bless him he's figured it out man um i think this is the last one for us here uh broncos and browns 29 to 12 i I took the russell wilson angle on this the numbers are not going to be anything impressive Mm -hmm. 13 to 22 134 yards a touchdown 11 carries, which is a lot, only 34 yards, but did have a rushing touchdown and a fumble. So I went with the on-pace numbers for Russ. He's on pace for thirty-three ninety-eight yards, 31 touchdowns, 6 picks, completing 68.3% of his passes. Mm-hmm. He's 34 years old. His last five games, uh, 70.2% completion percentage, 894 yards, 8 touchdowns, no picks. I wrote down in my notes. I went and watched all the all of his uh, dropbacks in this game, and I wrote, "Ah, it's Alex Smith. Like this is this is kind of how he's playing right now. Is is Alex Smith? He's efficient. He uses legs, you know, to get. He got out of a bunch of sacks in this game, and some of them he maybe got a yard or two. Some of them he threw away, but some hidden yardage there with his athleticism." Not super aggressive. I was a little surprised. You know, I think they, they always start him off with, with a layup. They did it again in this game. They give him a nice easy screen on the first play. The next one, they actually took a shot and they end up getting a pass interference call. But for again, the majority of the game under control, protect the football, use your legs if you have to marry that up with a great defense, marry that up with the, you know, with a coordinator that can protect you. I'm like, this is what that felt like.
2: Oh, you know, you know what it feels like and what it sounds like? It sounds like Russell Wilson from his early years in Seattle when there you and those <laughs> guys were for trying to protect Russ against himself before yep. there was a the chorus of Let Russ Cook. It's funny how it comes full circle, and Russ is playing better because Russ is playing like they wanted him to play in Seattle. Hats uh-huh. off to Sean Payton for stealing some pages from the original blueprint to get <laughs> Russell Wilson playing well. But they are doing those things that he can do well at his age. And I think the Alex Smith example is great because Alex Smith won a lot of games just being an efficient quarterback. And what the Broncos need from Russ now is more mental than physical. They need him to be, and I hate to say this because you're paying whatever, 200 and some million for Russell, but he just needs to be a game manager plus, right? Be a game manager, what, for three quarters of the game? And then in the fourth quarter, just be the playmaker when we need you to be. And if he's that and the rest of the pieces of the team appear to be maybe even better than we gave them credit for, this team can win. The receivers, the running backs, the defense, all playing well. He's doing a good job of managing. That's why they didn't win a circle. Do
0: you guys remember this, though? Uh, when Drew was still playing pretty well in the 2017 draft, which was the Mahomes draft, mm-hmm. right? You remember the Saints were trying to trade up to get up there for Mahomes, and then he's made, I mean, Sean mm-hmm. Payton didn't make any bones about it. Like he, he told everybody that's what he was trying to do. Even though Drew was playing winning football, I almost wonder if this is a similar situation where I know obviously the money is there and he's tied up in this money, but I feel like okay, Russ, this brand of football is winning them games. They've won a bunch in a row. Might punch their ticket to the postseason. Who knows? But to win a championship, which Sean Payton has done, he knows he's going to need better than what Russell can currently give them. Would it surprise you at all if like there's a quarterback that he really likes? If it's Jaden Daniels, whoever else it is that's in that, you know, not too far of a leap to go get him. If even with Russ there, if Sean Payton went and got the next guy to have Rhett with that, it wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: No, but don't you go telling Alex Smith now that what Russell Wilson's doing is mediocre quarterback
0: play. Oh, no, I'm not, not getting on that. Alex He's Smith's bad side. He's not
1: that line of conversation. Yeah. He had some good <laughs> points.
0: He had some good points on that, by the way. It was a bad sure division that he was playing in. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so, no, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean... Didn't the Saints also make a play for Paxton Lynch when he was coming out in the first round? Didn't well, they we talk talked about, about Lamar
0: because I remember mm-hmm. Mayock was with us and, and and Mike was close with Sean Payton. I'm not telling tales out of school yeah. here, but I remember he was enamored by Lamar Jackson. So yeah. there was thought that he would do that. I think they ended up trading up and taking Davenport. And we thought we said when, on the draft, we, they might be trading up for Lamar Jackson. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and they were taking quarterbacks for a while. They took Garrett Grayson right in the third round, yeah. um, so they were definitely looking, right? I mean, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, man, I, I don't know what the Russell contract is and how that all works oh, out.
0: It's a lot. I think the out is after twenty five, according to Spot Tracker. Yeah. I was on there looking at that this but, morning.
1: But again, like you're again, you're paying minimal money to a quarterback that you're going to draft, even yeah. if you do draft them up there, you know, near the top. But I don't know. Can they, are they, I mean, look, they've won what, five in a row now? Yeah. They're going to have to move. It's going to take a, some maneuvering to get up there for one of these dudes this year. Uh, well, that's what I'm they, saying. They
0: haven't tried to yeah. get up to one or two. I'm talking about 10 yeah. to 14, like somewhere yeah, in maybe there. Maybe the
1: Bo Nix land or.
0: Um, There's you know, a bunch maybe, of them in this draft yeah. that we'll yeah, jump Jaylen into. Daniels, them. as you're talking yeah. about. Sure. Yeah.
1: I, I could see so, it. 100%. I could see it.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting to, to keep an eye yeah. on there. Um, anything else you want to add before we get out of here? This is a fun one today. A lot of ground we covered here. No doubt. I'm just looking at some of the other games. I, um, I mean the
1: Kyron Williams is a player. The
0: Rams, man. When when yeah, they the Rams. can when they
1: can operate, you know, with, uh, you know, the way they want to with Kyron, you know, rushing receive that that was big uh, to watch that. And um, I don't know, I
0: Patriots. What do we? I got to see him say? this week, so I got to jump in and watch all that tape yeah. this week. I prefer not yeah. to talk about them until Let's I get do it to, to Let's do it after. Let's do that. After. Uh, by the way, as we're. Uh, as we're closing up shop here, uh, our buddy Tom Pelissero, two minutes ago, Panthers have also fired quarterback coach Josh McCown, and assistant head coach, running back coach, Deuce Staley, per sources. So it is not just the head coach. It's a little unusual Yo. to see that many assistants get, get let go. But I would also say, I was talking to a coach about this the other day, much better if you're a coach to get fired as the college carousel is getting ready to kick off um, yeah. than to wait till the NFL season ends because there is another whole pool of jobs. And as we know, these colleges can pay quite handsomely. So, um, you know, that is not that a is, bad idea to get let go now.
2: That is interesting in terms of Deuce Staley and Josh McCown going. So now what if you Too many cooks a, in the kitchen. Too many cooks in the kitchen. And, and then if you had, like, factions, like, this is Survivor, like, I got this click versus that click. Like, how is that working in the building? And so maybe you're trying to give Thomas Brown... Uh, an opportunity to be the play caller without maybe noise in his ear in terms of how this offense should look. And maybe that's what they're doing. Remember, they also elevated and asked Jim Caldwell to take on more responsibilities and helping yeah, Thomas Brown. Did. Jim Caldwell helped the Baltimore Ravens as a play caller win that Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. Not saying that he have influence, but I will say I had a conversation with Jim Caldwell before he joined the Panthers. Like just a random conversation about which quarterback he liked. Bryce Young was his quarterback of choice. And so maybe they're trying to get enough people around Bryce that see Bryce and maybe the light that the owner saw him to give yeah. him the best opportunity to play at a high level going forward.
0: Yeah, I just think back, and I don't know. I mean, remember the Josh McCown, the video at the CJ Stroud DJ, pro that day? And everybody's that like, stuff, that's that's bring his guy. Up. That's that, his that, guy.
2: That stuff has to come up. Like, that stuff. Yeah. Like, so was there some stuff when you're losing where maybe it's not said? but you feel it. You mm-hmm. feel like yeah, I'm not really your guy, the way you're, mm-hmm. so maybe they're trying to get all of those people out and say, hey, here's how we're gonna go forward. Yeah.
0: yeah. There you go, a little, uh, little bonus piece of news there as we wrap this one up today. We'll be back tomorrow as we are each and every day. You can catch us here. Uh, we appreciate you hanging with us and we'll see you next time on Move the Sticks.